This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bible. I was not planning on preaching this, but uh, here is a message that changed my life. I not long ago had a young preacher ask me, Brother Comfort, have you heard one message that has transformed your life? And without hesitation, I said, yes. A message I heard in 1966, my wife and I were at a World Fundamental Baptist Congress in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Dr. Robert Ketchum preached a message on the judgment seat of Christ, and it transformed my life. And so God has impressed upon my heart that there, this is the message for this group. All right, let's stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Thank you very much. You may be seated. God divides the human race into two categories. Number one, 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man would be the unsaved man. Now you go down to verse 15, and you have the second category. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. So in that instance, the spiritual man is the saved man. So verse 14, you have the natural man, the unsaved man. Verse 15, you have the saved man, the spiritual man. However, God further delineates those who are saved. Go down to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. So it is possible to be saved and to be a carnal Christian, to walk after the flesh, or to be a spiritual Christian, those who walk after the Spirit and live the Spirit-filled life. So which kind are you if you're saved? Now, with that in mind, in verses 11 through 15, we have the classic passage in all the Bible on what is called the judgment seat of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, whether you are a carnal Christian or a spiritual Christian, you will stand one day at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, excuse me. I heard a world-renowned Bible teacher whom you have access to hearing every day during the week. 
And he made this statement, at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be no losers. Everyone will be a winner at the judgment seat of Christ. I ask you, do you believe that? Ladies and gentlemen, if that is true, then Demas and Paul will have the same standing at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't believe that. I was taught in Christian college that the Bema seat or the judgment seat was a reward seat. But let me remind you, Paul stood before Pilate's Bema seat. That was not a reward seat. Uh, James stood before Herod's Bema seat. That was not a, uh, 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 a reward seat. Paul stood before Festus in Acts chapter 26. That was not a reward seat. And you see, I think we have a general view of the judgment seat of Christ, which is only part way. We major on our stay, standings, and yet we neglect our state. We talk about our position, but we avoid talking about our practice. I'm speaking to you on the subject of the judgment seat of Christ. When I heard that message, it resonated in my heart, and I felt I've got to do an in-depth study of the judgment seat of Christ. And when I did that, I found this, that only this generation has taken a light view of the judgment seat of Christ. And every time I preach this message, my prayer is that somebody's life will be transformed like my life was in 1966 when I heard that message. Now, I want to take three words and partially interpret this judgment. Number one, it will be a day of revealing. Notice verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Look this way. Now, there is a word that is used in connection with the judgment seat of Christ that you find over and over again in the New Testament. It's the word manifest. Do you know what that word means? It means revealed as we are. Now, if you know me this morning, you know me by reputation. But when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I shall be revealed as I really am. What a thought. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, get it, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now, we hear a lot about the good being revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. Why don't we hear about the bad being revealed? Both the bad and the good will be revealed. 
Again, Colossians 3, 18 through 20. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Here's the other side. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he had done, for there is no respect of person. Hey, not only will the good be revealed, the bad will be revealed. Not only will the right be revealed, the wrong will be revealed. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light, get it, the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsel of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. The hidden things of darkness will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you have heard preachers preach on 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And here's what you normally hear about that verse. The terror of the Lord means that men and women are dying and going to hell. Therefore, we've got to go out and we've got to win them to Christ. Now, that's true. But well, that's not the context of 2 Corinthians 5. You know what the 2 Corinthians 5 means, the terror of the Lord? Paul knew that there was a day when he would be revealed as he really was. And he said, that's the terror of the Lord. And uh, I had a lady come to me and she said, Brother Comfort, I'm not afraid to stand before the Lord. I said, ma'am, that's a height of presumption. I can't say that. The Apostle Paul could not say that. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. And one day both the good and the bad will be revealed. Now listen carefully. There are two days in the Bible that are sometimes equated, but I don't think they're the same. In the Old Testament you have the day of the Lord. That is in connection with the tribulation period after the rapture and the judgments of God upon the earth. But on the other hand, in the New Testament, you have the day of Christ. That's totally different. That's in relation to the child of God when he stands at the judgment seat of Christ. And there are several statements concerning the day of Christ that to me are really heart-searching. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, get it, that you may be blameless in the day of Christ. Do you know what that connotates? That connotates, I may be found with blame at the judgment seat of Christ. Again, Philippians 1 and verse 10, that she may approve the things that are excellent, that she may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, the average Christian is satisfied with mediocrity. Kids, if you play an instrument, don't be satisfied with mediocrity. Why? You're representing Jesus Christ. I love to go into a church and see it clean like this one is. And to go to in the halls and the Sunday school rooms and see it. Why? It's a testimony for the Lord Jesus. 
I was in New York City for a meeting and a lady came in a half an hour before uh, I got up to preach and she was cleaning the carpet. And I thought probably nobody knows who did that, but God was taking note of that. And there's nothing you can do that you ought to be satisfied with mediocrity. You ought to be satisfied with excellence. Paul says if you're satisfied with mediocrity, you're going to be found with offense at the day of Christ. Again, Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So that means, ladies and gentlemen, if I've served God for the wrong motives, then one day I'm going to be found with offense when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Someone said, now wait a minute, Brother Cufford, are you telling me that there's going to be punishment at the judgment seat of Christ? You know how I answer that? What do you mean by punishment? Punishment to one may not be punishment to another. Most of the time we think of punishment as corporal punishment, spanking your kids. But there are different types of punishment other than that. I have three daughters. By the way, the joy of my life. I have them pictured in every Bible that I use. And uh, so I have three daughters and all three of them are different personality-wise. By the way, that's a disproof of evolution. Did you know that? If evolution were a fact, everybody would be a carbon copy of everybody else. But you know what? When God made you, he threw away the pattern. There are no two of you alike on planet Earth. Now, thank God for that in some instances. But because my daughters were not the same personality-wise, I may not have disciplined them the same way. For instance, my oldest daughter, Rhonda, there's nothing she hated worse than a spanking. When I would mention the word spank, she would go into dry heaves in convulsions. <laughs> I remember reading her from the newspaper, this wise judge in North Carolina sentenced two juvenile delinquents to their choice of sentence. He said, boys, you can either get a spanking by your daddy or you can spend 10 days and 10 nights in jail. Obviously, they chose to get a spanking by their daddy. When I read that to Rhonda, she said, Daddy, I'd rather spend 10 days and 10 nights in jail. <laughs> Nothing I did to Rhonda would have hurt her worse than spanking. Now, our middle daughter, Becky, who is married to evangelist Mike Pelletier, whom most of you know, uh, Becky is an avid reader. When we would pull our trailer into town for a meeting, she'd say, where's the library? And Becky read 10 books a week on the average. 10 books a week. I saw her reading a book that I had seen her read before. And I said, Becky, I notice you read the same books over and over again. Why do you do that? She said, Daddy, I just love to read. I said, well, honey, what book have you read more than any other book? She said, well, I guess... Little women, little women. 
I said, how many times have you read Little Women? She said, well, I think about 10 times. My stars, the sporting news, yes, but Little Women, no. And I said, now, sweetheart, if you had a choice between daddy taking away your books for a week or you're getting a spanking, what would you choose? She said, daddy, I'd choose a spanking because it'd be all over with. And she said, the worst thing you could do is take my books away from me for a week. Now, our youngest daughter, Robin, loved her dollies. By the way, doesn't that make abortion so wicked? What does a little toddler girl want for Christmas? She wants a doll. And God is planted in the heart of a female to one day be a mother. And uh, so my wife made Robin a doll as big as she was. Uh, my daughter, not my wife. Uh, <laughs> And for her fifth birthday, when she unveiled that incredible hulk, I said, no, we don't have room in this trailer for another child. But Amanda was so big that Robin dressed Amanda in her clothing. Have you ever seen a bunk bed in an RV? Not much wider than the pew upon which you're sitting. And Robin knew there wasn't room for Amanda and her in that bunk. But I'd go by that bunk bed at night, and I'd see her all snuggled up to Amanda. And I went by one night, and I said, Honey, you love Amanda, don't you? She said, Oh, yes, Daddy. I love Amanda. I said, Well, sweetheart, if you had a choice between Daddy taking away Amanda from you for a week or you're getting a spanking, what would you choose? You know what she did? She grabbed a man and she said, oh no, daddy, not Amanda. And the worst thing I could have done to Robin was take away Amanda for a week. My friend, do you remember after Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus came out of the judgment hall. What did he do to Peter? Did he take the leaded whip, the cat of nine tails, and beat him 13 times on the right side, 13 times in the center, 13 times on the left side? Did he do that? No. He just cast an accusing glance in the direction of Peter. What did Peter do? He went out and he wept bitterly. Folks, I believe if we could put Peter on this platform tonight or this afternoon and say, Peter, if you had the cat of nine tails or the accusing glance of the Son of God, what would you choose? I believe he'd say, oh, Brother Comfort, a thousand times over the cat of nine tails. Now, folks, we have never seen Jesus as he is. Girls, are you listening? Please look this way and listen. We've never seen Jesus as he is. We see him today with the eye of faith. But when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to see him in all of his glory, in all of his purity, in all of his holiness. And those things which have been a part of our life that have offended his holiness will come to our mind as we give our narrative. 
Romans 14, 10 through 12. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You know what the word account means? It means narrative. Hey, young people, I'm going to tell the Lord Jesus what I did and why I did it. I'm going to tell him the places I let my feet go. I'm going to tell him the things I let my eyes look upon. I'll tell him my motives, my desires. Now, here's a statement that may shock you. I believe that for a Christian, sin will be confessed. You say, now, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? You've got a choice as to when you want to confess it. Now, God's design is, 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's design is that we live with a short account to God. But here is a Christian who goes through life. He never deals with his sin when he stands at the judgment seat of Christ and they give his narrative. I believe, dear, it will break his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, it'll be a time of revealing. Notice place number two. It'll be a time of rewarding. Verse 14. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward, a day of rewarding for some. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Revelation 22 and verse 20, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Second John in verse 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, I've been serving God in evangelism 62 years in May, but it's possible for me to drop out on God today and lose the reward of 62 years of serving God. In our Bible conference last week, a young man who's a pastor, preached on being shipwrecked. And I got up before our young people and I said, listen, I'm 62 years old, and the thing to me is the terror of the Lord is being shipwrecked before I end my journey. Ladies and gentlemen, it's possible for me to drop out on God and God raise up some young man to take my reward. So there, it'll be a time of rewarding for some. Now, quickly, there are five crowns mentioned in the Bible by name. And every Christian can win more, one or more of these crowns. I'm going to go like a house of fire. Because I'm going to say like Elizabeth Taylor said to her eighth husband, I don't want to keep you long. All right? So five crowns mentioned by name. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 verses 9 through 11. There is the incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. Secondly, there is 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, the crown of righteousness. Those who are living in 
expectancy of the soon return of Christ and their life is geared for living for Christ because he could come at any moment, they'll get a crown of righteousness. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, there's the crown of rejoicing and that's reserved for those who are involved in soul winning. And then in Revelation 2 and verse 10, James 1 and verse 12, there is the crown of life. And that's given to every Christian who's willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. You say, now, wait a minute. I don't know whether I'd be willing to die for him tonight. I've got good news for you. He's not asking you to die for him now. He's asking you to live for him. And if you're willing to live for him, then when it comes time to die, and he'll give you dying grace. And then number five, 1 Peter 5 and verse 4, there is the good shepherd's crown. And that's reserved for every pastor who faithfully feeds a flock of God. Now, do you know that you as a layman can win the pastor's crown? You say, what do you mean? The Bible says if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll get what? you get a prophet's reward. That means if you pray for your pastor daily, you insulate him from unfair criticism, you meet his needs financially, you honor his calling, God will give you the same crown that he gives him. Someone said, well, Brother Comfort, why do you want a crown? What are we going to do with them? We're going to stack them up on top of our head and go all over heaven bragging about how many crowns we've won. Not on your life. Keep your finger here and turn to first, uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10. Revelation 4 and verse 10. Every time I read this, I thrill. All right, notice what it says, Revelation 4 and verse 10. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. And worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Isn't that beautiful? If Jesus gives me a crown, I'll just lay it right back at his nail-pierced feet. Now, if Jesus came this morning and you stood before the judgment seat of Christ, would you have any crowns? to lay before his feet. All right, number one, it'll be a day of revealing. Number two, a day of rewarding for some. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15. Number three, it'll be a day of remorse for some. If any man's work is burned, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I used to interpret the word suffer loss like this. If I get a reward, fine. If I don't get a reward, no big deal. The only important thing is to be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the depth of those words are far more grave than that. Now, I did not tell you this. But the judgment seat of Christ doesn't take place in heaven. You know where it takes place? It takes place at the rapture. 
We believe the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. Those of us who are saved are going to be raised to meet him in the air. Immediately, we will find ourselves standing at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there are two ways to enter heaven. Are you listening? Number one. 1 John 2, 28, And now little children abide in him, that when he may appear, we may have confidence, get it, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So it's possible to be saved and to be ashamed as you enter heaven. On the other hand, 2 Peter 1, 11, it's possible to live for Christ and have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you want to enter heaven? Now, in closing, three ways there are going to be tears in heaven uh, or at the judgment seat of Christ. Number one, because of misused time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Colossians 4 and verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 29, now this I say, brethren, the time is short. In Revelation chapter 90, there is a tremendous passage about the use of time. And it says that a person who wastes his time is a fool. A person who uses his time rightly is a wise person. How are you using your time? I read about a preacher that came to Psalm 90 and verse 10, and it says this, the days of our years are three score and 10. And if by reason of strength they be four score, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is suit cut off and we fly away. So the preacher looked at that verse and he said, now God doesn't promise anybody more than three score and 10 years. So if I'm wise, I've got to take 375 and multiply it by 70. He came out with 25,550. All right, he went down to Psalm 90 and verse 12, and it says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. He said, now if I'm wise, I ought to take the amount of days that I've already lived and subtract them from this calendar and leave on the calendar all the days I have left until my 70th birthday. He'd go into his office every morning and take a page and Take it away and throw it. Take it away and throw it. So teach us to number our days. The poet said, I have only just a minute. Only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Yes, just a tiny little minute. But all eternity is in it. Young people, are you listening? The average young person spends seven and a half hours a day in social networking. I would hate to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, Lord Jesus, one and a half of my waking hours were wasted in social networking. Misuse time. Number two, 
misplaced treasures. Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 21, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and doth the corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now let me ask you a question. What does money mean to you? If money is anything more than a vehicle for doing the will of God, your treasures are on earth. They are not in heaven. One of the things that thrills me about our students at Ambassador Baptist College, they have learned to be givers. This year, we had a boy who could not return because he didn't have enough money to enroll in college this semester. So you know what the boys' dormitory did? They took up a collection enough for this boy to enroll in college. And many times we hear this, they'll come to the business office and they'll say, my bill is paid, but I've got some extra money. I want to place it on somebody's bill who's having a hard time. Now, I may break up when I tell the story, but I went into my office in October of 1994, and my wife greeted me with these words. She said, honey, we just got a call from the First National Bank that we've got to have $8,000 at the First National Bank before the day's over because of uh, our taxes for our kids, our, our employees. And... Uh, I said, where are we going to get $8,000? I said, well, we've only got $1,000 in our school's account. And so I went into my office thinking, how is God going to meet this need? I went into my office. I sat down. There was a letter on my desk from one of our married students. Let me tell you about Jeff Lanier. He lived an hour away in Spartanburg, would drive an hour to school, an hour back. He had two children. He worked a 40-hour-a-week job. And many times he did not know where his next payment was coming from. So I opened the letter, and the letter read, Dear Brother Comfort, three years ago my wife and I began to pray that God would supply $10,000 for us to give to Ambassador Baptist College as a token of appreciation for what the college has done for our family. He said three years ago I had a tremendous wreck. My medical expenses were over $10,000. And he said because of a technicality, the insurance company would not honor that. So our church, Westgate Baptist Church, began to pray, and God brought money in from all over America from people I've never met. And he said, every penny of that medical expenses was paid. He said, last week, unbeknowings to my wife and me, we got a letter from the insurance company with a check for $10,000. He said, my wife and I did not even discuss it. We just prayed about it. And we believed that this was the answer to prayer that we've been praying for three years. He said, I'm sending the check to Ambassador Baptist College because of what the college has done for our family. I took that check and I began to weep. My wife heard me. She came in and said, honey, what's wrong? I said, read this letter. She read the letter, held up the check, and she began to weep. She said, darling, the depth 
of consecration in some of our students is much greater than in us. And I said, you're right. You know what Jeff Lanier told me? He said before he came to Ambassador, he made $45,000 to $50,000 a year, and he gave $4,500 to $5,000 to God as a tithe. Now listen to what he said. He said, Brother Comfort, last year I made $10,000. And God enabled my family to give $30,000 to the work of Jesus Christ. You tell that to an unsaved banker and it will blow his mind. But I will tell you, Jeff Lanier's treasures are in heaven. Where are yours? Where are yours? I was in, of all places, Las Vegas, Nevada for a stewardship conference. Can you imagine that, Las Vegas? And the speaker said, 17% of Christian people say they tithe, but he said they really don't. He said there are only 3% that actually tithe. He said 70% of Christian people, when they die, they don't leave one penny to a ministry. Let me challenge you folks with gray hair and some of you with no hair. Don't leave your belongings to unsaved kids. They don't belong to you. They belong to God. And if you'll lay up your treasures in heaven, you'll be clipping coupons as the eons of eternity roll. All right, number one, remorse because of misused time. Number two, misplaced treasures. Number three, misapplied talents. You know, the first rule of stewardship is this. You're not your own. You've been bought with the price. You say, I've got a home. No, you don't. It belongs to God. You say, I've got a car. No, you don't. It belongs to God. Are you listening? You say, I've got children. No, you don't. They belong to God. People ask me all the time, Brother Comfort, can you chronicle your ministry through the years? And I chronicle it like this. In the 60s, 70s, and halfway through the 80s, we would have an average of 30 people saved in our weekly meetings. Many times we would have in a week 100 professions of faith. And if I preached to 150 kids in a Christian school, before the week was over, 30 or 35 would come down the aisle and surrender for full-time Christian service. But I noticed in the middle of the ages a difference. No longer did parents want their children to have a ministry. They wanted them to enjoy the American dream. And I can preach in a Christian school with 150 kids for a week now and give an invitation for full-time service. Two or three will come. Why? It starts with mom and dad. Had a young lady come to Ambassador in the early 90s. She said, I'm from Greenville. She said, I haven't come because I want a career. She said, I want a ministry. Amy Caldwell died of cancer. She had married one of our marriage students, John Bixby. Went up to Colorado, had a wonderful ministry. About 15 years ago, she died of cancer. 
38 years of age, but there is a young lady walking the streets of glory right now saying, thank God I did not waste my life on making money. I invested it in the servants of God. Ladies and gentlemen, in the last couple years, I've had some dear friends die and go to glory. Preachers, I think of J.C. Joyner from Tucson. 88 years of age, died and went to glory. Pastured his church for 60 years. I think about Benny Moran in Morgantown, West Virginia. Pastured for over 50 years, died and went to glory. Tom Farrell, whom you know who's preached here, died just a few years ago at 69. And ladies and gentlemen, there's David Vaughn, who was on our faculty, died. And uh, Neil Cadwell, one of my closest friends, died and went to glory at the age of 73. Who's going to take their place? Who's going to say, hey, Ron Comfort is in his twilight years. I'll take his place. God is looking for volunteers in view of the judgment seat of Christ. Don't be a fool and waste your life on making money. You can invest it in the service of God and clip coupons as the eons of eternity roll. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.